this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com. That's digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, joining us for this episode is one of our longtime patrons, one of our longtime listeners. He's been here before. He's back again. Mr. Scott Hallgrom. Welcome back, Scott. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Happy New Year. Congratulations on the uh, 10-year anniversary. Thank you. I didn't get Jay anything, though, unfortunately. (laughs) Come on, man. Is it, I'm supposed to, copper? Is that the 10-year anniversary? Is it copper or uh, wood? Have something engraved in wood? You have to keep going at least until you get to the CD anniversary. (laughs) I think it's styrofoam. Oh, sweet. So let's recap the albums that we have done previously with with Scott. It's it's Amazon boxes. Oh, it is. Amazon boxes. I I was thinking Etsy this year, but we'll go with Amazon. I'm trying to think of whatever crap material I have around my house all the time that I don't want. Gotcha. (laughs) So back in... Uh, January of uh, 17, Mr. Bungle's Disco Volante. And then in May of 17, Jennifer Trinan's Cockamamie. And then at the yeah. end of 17, which was the, to, for the 2018 pick, essentially, was uh, Living Color Stain. Which, after we did that, they reissued that on vinyl. I want to point that out. Not that we have a huge influence on the course of events throughout the world but just saying bands have reunited immediately after we have done the episodes on them (laughs) breathing new life into their careers absolutely yep and then last year it was masters of reality sunrise on the suffer bus so without further ado mr hallgram would you like to tell the audience what album you picked and why you decided to bring it to us well, I'll, ha- I'll add a little more to do. I'm just going to take that on. And um, But other suggestions of mine that you've reviewed without me being there were, well, I was there for Voivod on the, uh, the kind of compilation episode. Yeah, We had a bunch of things, the quick hitters. Uh, and then I also uh, jumped Little Children and The oh. Stereo. And the Stereo, those are both mine. <clears throat> okay, yeah, from the early years before we yeah. Uh, yeah. tagged everybody's names on them. You could have like a greatest hits at this point. Oh, awesome! Yeah, yeah. Me and me and, me and some of the me, Gavin certainly probably, probably got me beat. I'll have to make a playlist. Uh, <laughs> oh, that would that would be fun, man. Yeah, we should do that. Um, this this year, I picked uh, "They Might Be Giants" Apollo eighteen. Why did I pick it? Um, well, one, I think "They Might Be Giants" uh, is. A bit, a pretty big hole in the albums you've reviewed. Like that, I think they're a pretty big band that after ten years they haven't been reviewed. Um, and and this was my introduction to them. It's probably not their best album. Well, almost certainly Flood is better, but um, 
but it still kind of holds a special place in my heart just because uh, it was it was their their first album that that I got. And how did you come across them? Um, well, I I came across them when they first blew up on MTV with "Stop Don't Start" from their debut album. Um, and then, uh, but then you know that was album one. This is album four, or something like that. Um, you know, they, it, it was hard to go through 1990 and not hear some of the stuff off Flood, like Particle Man or uh, uh, Your Racist Friend was a popular one, and Birdhouse in My Soul and stuff like that. But then, uh, then I and I was trying to figure out why I got this one once I started to finally get some funds in high school, and I think it was because the radio was playing statue got me high and i think that was enough for me to buy it uh and enjoy it enough to to keep buying their albums and to to go see their shows and things like that okay and and so for people who may not be familiar with the might be giants it's basically two members which both named john john flansberg and john linnell yeah and for the most part they are the the core of the band they have backing band members both former and current because the band is still active but for the early years yep. it was just the two of them and then up until i think this record is when they started touring with a band they definitely had a band on this tour and then i think for the next album john henry they uh kind of augmented the two of them a lot more in the studio and, and brought in more uh, i don't know if you want to say session session pros but but that kind of thing i think it might have been through more connections or something like that and as of uh, 2018 they had put out 22 albums and this is is that counting the children's music ones i don't know i'm just going based on wikipedia which says the escape team from 2018 was their 22nd album this and Apollo 18 is their fourth. It was released in 1992. The flood came out in 1990. I feel like that's the one that people probably know because of the, it's um, definitely, it's definitely got the most hits. Yeah. Right. So, and what I read about this particular record is that, um, it actually caused sort of a Dylan goes electric, uh, a blowback from the fans when they, because they had toured as a duo with like a boombox for their rhythm section, and okay. when they showed up with a band, people were like booing them at some of the shows. Oh wow! Which is uh, hardcore. That was, that's super hardcore, and but it it also doesn't surprise me that the that the you know it's like the, the Android Dungeon type of fan that they might attract uh, from the early years would be kind of purists about that kind of thing. But, and so uh, I don't remember I don't remember anybody booing them at the Minneapolis show on this tour. Okay. So 1992 was the International Space Year. I don't know who determined that. But um I guess it was the it was it dealt with the um voyage of uh Columbus to the Americas in 1492. And uh-huh. So NASA selected They Might Be Giants as the official musical ambassadors of the International Space Year. I guess that's cool. Okay. What what, what responsibilities come with that? <laughs> so here's what it says on Wikipedia. The band uh, creates 
uh, short videos called Space Minutes, but they actually didn't have it didn't happen. That was what the plan was. Um, they included the International Space Year logo on the album artwork um, and promoted it at their concerts. And I don't know if you remember like NASA, but they weren't like doing well in the nineties. <laughs> and so they didn't really they made some boo-boos. They didn't do a good job of like promoting international space year and, and this whole, it was basically kind of a wreck. There you go. So right. Jay, what is your familiarity with they might be giants. Uh, I remember this band from high school. So I guess it would have been, you know, pre 92. So somewhere between 90 and 92, maybe. Um, I, I don't know. I remember like they're one of those bands where if you hang around with enough people who like music, you run into the, to the person, usually a guy who's like obsessed with a couple of different, bands one of which would be they might be giants um so i i met somebody in high school i remember like was friends with them and this was the band they were into and it must have been what was the 90 record flood flood well super into so that's where i became aware the band was was around that time period and i remember i don't know what particular songs but i do remember stuff getting played on mtv um, maybe not during regular rotation, but perhaps during uh, the later, you know, 120 minutes alternative nation. I don't know if they got into like REM style rotation with their songs on, on there, but I do remember seeing them on there, but I didn't, I didn't have that guy <laughs> that you're talking about with regards to, uh, <laughs> Well, they'd be like that guy. There'd be like the Frank Zappa guy. <laughs> You're like, like that was their whole world. Like that, that band was everything. So gotcha. I just, okay. Like that was, this was the only band I remember vaguely remember the, the kid. And this is the only band that he liked. Wow. I don't, yeah, we, I didn't have that. Chagrin, um, Chagrin Falls did not have a They Might Be Giants devotee. They had some deadheads <laughs> in, in 1991-92 who, who were still listening to The Grateful Dead. But uh, The point, point being is that they elicit that kind of passion, I think. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, definitely. All right. So we did not get any comments over on – but we did get votes over on Patreon for Were the Album Better EP Decent Single? When we do the rating – at the end of the show, we will get into that. So, Jay, tell me one thing you liked about Apollo 18 by They Might Be Giants. The It's pretty obvious they are super competent, talented songwriters. You know, there's several songs on here that tap into, uh, you know, very classic power pop oriented songwriting. Clever chords, instrumentation, the way they use melody. So I'm thinking of songs like Dig My Grave, Palindrome, Statue Got Me High. I think Statue Got Me High is probably a great example of that. Don't 
quirky instrumentation from time to time on tunes like that too where it's you know bringing in horns or accordion and things that are a little off the you know typical uh rock path and you know working pretty well even things like song like near eyes kind of remind me almost like the, the raspberries type of power pop so hmm. you, i think when they're in that mode i th- you know these are super sharp well-written sometimes clever power pop songs seems to be a lot of like overall musical knowledge too on this record from the genre genre shifting to the instrumentation to just the craft you know these are very sharp songs for the most part at least from a time standpoint um i don't think there's anything that goes beyond what three and a half minutes if that maybe three minutes is the longest so there's the guitar is 349. Yep. So yeah. So super, yep. super sharp, focused. Like they know what they're trying to do with the song. They get in and they get out. There are explorations on here and some bizarre stuff, but uh, I'm kind of setting those aside as almost like album material. Um, I think when they're, you know, in that, that power pop, almost Beatles ask kind of mode. You know, there's a lot here to like. Uh, when you listen to this, were the were tracks seventeen through thirty seven divided, or was it one track? Divided. Okay. It, each has its own title. Right. That's how it's supposed to be. I guess there were yeah. multiple versions of the CD that were released, and in some cases, only one track was there, and they were all just run together. But in reading why they did that with each on a separate track. Is that what um, they wanted the CD to be played on shuffle so that each of those songs could come up randomly in between songs on the album, which um, I, it's interesting. That's, that's interesting. Why not just insert them between each song? Cause they wanted a different experience <laughs> well, every time you listen to it. Well, but if I you play it shuffle, you always get a different experience. <laughs> right. That's the point of shuffle. And I think there are a couple others that that would have fit uh, in fingertips that got that got called out. Um, the C, the CD I had had it listed just track seventeen fingertips and then track thirty eight spacing, but they were there were different tracks seventeen through thirty seven. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess some of them, some countries got different organization of that, so they didn't get separate tracks, or they were listed as separate tracks, and some countries only listed this, like you said fingertips and that was it so i don't know whatever region your cd was pressed in made a difference so i had never listened really to they might be giants before this i only knew like i said maybe a song or two from listening to or from seeing them on uh, mtv in the 90s and they were not a band that i remember playing in college radio at our college radio station like this would have I would have started with this year, and I know they had albums after this, but for whatever reason they don't 
like nothing i looked at those records and nothing stood out as like oh yeah i remember playing that song like nothing popped out i like uj i i picked up on some of the the power pop elements that reminded me of bands like sloan or um fountains of wayne like my evil twin is a good example that sounded very much like a sloan song to me The album, because of their experiment, what they were basically doing was experimenting by having more of like a rock sound on this record from reading some of their quotes about it, that with songs like Dig My Grave and The Statue Got Me High, that really brings out, you know, being able to use electric guitars and, and in the way that they're doing the, the power pop elements, like you said, with the raspberries and that classic sort of sound. Um, and those were the songs that definitely worked best for me. It was interesting. I didn't, I appreciated the talent, a lot of, of what went into it. If, even if it didn't work for me as like a song, like in a song, like I palindrome, I, there's an entire verse that's written in palindrome where, you know, it starts with one word letter and then it reverses by the time you get to the end of the sentence or the end of the, Mm. the verse. I understand mm-hmm. from a craft standpoint that that's really interesting and difficult, but I don't know from a listener standpoint I was like that I care. I guess that's where the that's where the line <laughs> is with this band is that I'm like yeah. some of the songs I'm like this is a really cool song, and some of them I'm like this is a really interesting song, but I don't know if I want to listen to it again. <laughs> right. So and and you're you're more into you're more into lyrics, right? Like so, I I I, don't, I think I think Jay's said that he's a bit more you know like me, where like I the lyrics I might catch him, I might not, but I listen yeah. to the vocal melody, yeah. yeah. So yeah. but but Tim, you enjoy like listening to the lyrics and following along with the words, right? I do, and I I've tried to think about over time who I've responded to as a lyricist, like whose lyrics actually matter to me. And there's like a line. I don't, I don't know where the line is. But when I think about like Paul Westerberg, like I really love Paul Westerberg's lyrics, especially from like prime era, you know, replacements and his first couple solo records. And he's got that edge of like some of the stuff has a little bit of humor in it. And there's some wordplay. But there's also a lot of like sadness in his lyrics and a lot of depression. And, and so it toes the line between those things where he uses humor as like a shield for his anger and depression, sadness. And I really, I identify and I appreciate what he's doing there. What did you think about the lyrics to mammal? If I could ask the, where he's, or do you want to wait? Do you want to wait till they get to the things you didn't like? (laughs) Well, I didn't get a chance to ask you. Very good educational lesson on Mammal. Yes. Um, so let me ask you, though, before we get to that, because we, we're talking about what we liked. Um, 
Yeah. What was it that you said this was the first CD you got of theirs, right? Yeah. So what was it that drew you to that and and what has stuck with you over time? Like I said, I think it, I think I picked this up mainly because the radio was playing Statue Got Me High and like I think it might have been that my like I no and then I just it sounds like maybe radio in the Twin Cities played them a little bit more than um the radio where you guys were growing up. So so they were around, they were a thing, they were a known entity and you know at 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 this time in my life I was just buying anything you know, all it had to do was have one song I knew on it and I would, I would get the album set. So that's that's how I initially got it and, and like I think what stuck with me and, and the things I like about it I mean to to talk about mammal um that's how I know that all mammals have four chambered hearts I don't think I would know that fact without that song um the thing that's for me it's like uh it's almost like a through composed 43 minute song like I I really like the the stop start I like all the different melodies that they're able to put, you know, one after the other, just like bam, 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 bam. Um, and, you know, just like that, that phenomenon where that's that album, you know, really well. And at the end of one song, you can already kind of hear the next song coming. Like that's, that's what I, that's what I hear when I, when I listen to this. Um, so yeah, so, so fingertips is like, when I think about this album, one of the things you think of is fingertips. Um, I think that's true for a lot of people. Um, because it's so um, unique, and yeah, and then, like the, the songs that have stuck with me are "I Palindrome High," "Mammals," "Touch You Got Me High," "Spider." I think is another one that people who are fans of the band think of when they think of this album. The guitar and spacesuit, I love. I think they're um, a little more cinematic, and I put them on tons of mixed CDs back in the day. Um, yeah, so so just the hooks, and then just the like through composed like. Um, nature of it but i can definitely see how if you're somebody who gets uh if you're somebody who doesn't care for you know people being too clever or too silly like it would definitely i can i can see how they might be giants is not everybody's bag that's for sure okay so for mammal (laughs) here's where i'm at (laughs) if that was an up-tempo like power pop rocking song and they were doing this like tongue-in-cheek song with these lyrics I'd probably find it more endearing, but when I'm listening to that, it sounds like a Saturday morning like kids show, like science show, blues clues. I don't know, like it doesn't work for me as a song that I'm supposed to take seriously as an adult, I guess is where I would position it. Like it sounds mm-hmm. like a children's program. It's real quirky and clever and I just have a really hard time connecting with it. And there was a a couple of songs, not all of it. I mean, I like a lot of the record, but there's a, there's a couple of songs where they're so like stripped down and I'm, all I'm doing is focusing on the vocal and I'm like, this is, this is really difficult for me to take seriously. Like, I don't know. I don't know who, I don't know how, I don't know who this is for. Cause I don't feel like it's for me. Like, I don't know if this was meant... You mentioned about them making kids' records, and I'm like, oh, well, that totally makes sense, because this sounds like... Totally. Totally sounds like it should be, you know, a song for kids. Like, this is Schoolhouse Rocks. So that's where I was struggling with this. And I think I've struggled with that with... When I've heard them before, just being like, I don't know that I get this. And I don't know that I'll Mm -hmm. ever quite connect with it, because I think I'm too... 
and do my own like psychoanalysis. I'm like, I think I'm yeah. too jaded to get this correctly. <laughs> and is it and is it is is it that like you're really actually thinking like how is this intended? Like how ironic is this and how sincere is this? And I can't I can't even get what they're trying to get at. So exactly. I don't know. I don't know if I'm appre- I don't know if I'm appreciating it right. Yeah. I can definitely see that. Yeah. One of us might lose his hair. But you reminded that it once was there. From the embryonic whale to the monkey with no tail. So the warm blood flows with the red blood cells lacking nuclei through the large four-chambered heart. Maintaining the very high metabolism rate they have. Jay, what do you, where are you at with it? I agree with all those points. Uh, I think this album surprised me a little bit. I mean, I think my conception of the band was um, really down the line of what you're saying, like novelty stuff, more kid-oriented, like children's music almost. Um, I felt like this album surprised me a little bit. I think half of it does step into another place that I wasn't that made more sense to me, like in the big picture of maybe what this band is about and some of the other shades of the band that people get into. So I definitely felt like the record brought some of that out that I hadn't seen before. But the reality is the other half of the record is in that space of just either children's music or experimentations or genres that like getting jazzy, which I don't really need to hear. Um, so, or like even like almost novelty territory, like hypnosis of ladies. I mean, that's a song built around like that Bo Diddley drum beat, you know, um, not much there beyond that. And then you've got that end sequence, which is maybe, I don't know, maybe totals a couple minutes, um, of just like them trying every genre possible. It's almost like you're flipping the, the dial on the radio, and you're just picking up different channels. Um, so all of that stuff, I'm not sure what to make of it. I mean, some of it's fun for a minute, but then, you know, when it equals half of the record, uh, I guess mentally I can appreciate it, but I think maybe where you're coming from too, Tim is like, like I can listen to a really clever, well-written song and say like, wow, for, you know, a six year old, that is like amazing for them to listen to. Am I going to go turn it on and like emotionally connect to it? Probably not. Well, so. I'll, I'll say like I recognize the talent in writing a song like She's Actual Size. But to me, mm-hmm. it sounds like it's from Cabaret. Like it sounds like a show tune, which is fine. I don't mind listening to, you know, show tune soundtracks because yep. my wife was in musicals and, and stuff and she listens to them and my daughter loves you know, cartoon soundtracks that are out now, like Frozen and stuff like that. And she's listened to, um, like the, uh, some of the songs from like the waitress soundtrack and, and some, and stuff like that, or Dear Evan Hansen. Um, not all of them, but you know, some of them, they're, they're so so you're saying she, she should be doing this episode instead of you. I honestly, I think that she would like 
yeah, some of this. I mean, she would probably like the songs that I don't connect with more because she doesn't tend to like stuff that has loud guitars in it. Yeah. Because it gets in a way of her of like, you know, finding well, the melody and singing along, which is what she likes to do. And a lot of the songs that aren't like guitar driven, like Dig My Grave, are really vocal driven. And they're, and that's where I think like the the disconnect is for me because if you're going to be very vocal driven, I need it to be like sincere in a way. And there's, there's this clever quirkiness that just like it doesn't that doesn't work for me. I don't I don't there's no band that I can think of that I really like that pulls off quirky cleverness that I don't like think of as being kind of goofy. Like the yeah. darkness, for example. Yeah. They do quirky, but they do it loudly. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, and uh, the point about um, vocal-driven and you wanted it to be sincere, given the character of their voices, do you think if they tried to be sincere, it would work for you? Well, I don't think it's that they're insincere. I think it's that, I don't know how to, I don't know how to phrase it. I don't love their well, vocal. I don't, lo- the, I don't the, love the, the, the range of their vocals. It sounds, it sounds nasally to me. Yeah. But yeah. I, th- I think if you put these vocals over loud louder guitars i think it could sound like a power pop band like the a power rock band you know oh, no, no, the, um, I, I totally agree i think there's there's songs in here that sound like like i said like sloan and fountains of wayne but are that, you uh, maybe what we're responding to i mean they don't sing about themselves right i mean all these lyrics are about other things their observations yeah. their educational their stories of characters like do they ever i, I mean i don't I didn't pick up on anything on this that was personal. Well, they keep coming back to this theme of like, uh, like hypnosisted ladies. And if I wasn't shy, both of those have mentions of, uh, and, and there are others of where they're seeming to be like shy men or boys who have difficulty, like connecting mm. with the women they desire to connect with. I have no idea if that's a personal experience thing or if they're writing about something else. Yeah. But I, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Where yeah, for the most part, it is this like cinematic or you know uh, writing about other things. But yeah, that you think the lyrics would work because I, I think the point I was going for was like given just the nature of their voices. I think they built a band that plays well with that, and that's yeah, that's the quirk, the quirkiness and stuff like that. I agree, I agree with you there because I mean there were parts of it. Um, when you get like a ragtime piano kind of feel or like a organ where I was like, oh, this kind of reminds me of Zupano, the AC Newman band before he was in New Pornographers, which would throw in like, and I, it was one of the first reviews we ever did. And it threw us because it's harkening back to this pop that is not mainstream, but is regarded by musicians, I think a lot in that it's, it's, it crosses between some very traditional sounds. And I think like, I'm trying to think of a, a band or an artist that would encapsulate this, maybe like uh, Robin Hitchcock or something or, but that have like very pop leanings, but just do something with it that twists it in a way that go, that it like pulls it out of the mainstream that they just uh-huh. add one extra element. You're like, well, this is not a pop band anymore. This is something else. Okay. So I hear what they're doing and I'm like, Oh, they clearly have like chops as they understand pop songwriting, but to me it's like 
well, they're clearly far more talented than just being like Green Day. So they're going to push it and and be something even more distinct. And I, I mean, respect them for that because they, I, like I said, I clearly see that they understand how to write and understand melody and understand structure. And I'm, they could have probably written, you know, a whole album of songs like Dig My Grave and Statue Got Me High and, you know, made a very commercial power pop record. But that doesn't interest them. And I get that, you know, at some point you're like writing ultra sincere, emotional, you know, boy, girl lyrics could kind of feel like dumb if your interests as a lyricist extend beyond that. And you don't want to be like stuck writing the same material. Yeah. Um, it's funny, you know, a, a lot of ways that, um, artists, musicians, etc be creative is to impose limits on themselves. And they're like, well, let's see what we can do with these kinds of limits. Like, I remember one time one of my, one of my bands was just like, let's write a song that's all quarter notes. You know, let's see what we can do. You know, and, th- and that's what they would do. Two albums later, they have a song called James K. Polk. And it's just about that president just like goes over his history and, you know, has a course, but the, the verses kind of take you through his political career and what led to his rise and all that stuff. And I, I read somewhere that they, they took that as a challenge. They were like, let's see if we can write a good song that just talks about a president. And they just kind of picked a random president. They're not big fans of Polk. Um, and <laughs> they're, that, not yeah. <laughs> they're not Polkheads. They're not There was a really good, I, I think I heard a lot of this on the, the presidential podcast, which is now, has now run its course, but he, it did an episode on each president. And there's a lot to dislike about Polk. And, and, and they've said, they're like, yeah, we, we didn't write this as, as fans of his, but, um, so, so they, they do kind of like those challenges. And, and in fact, I think that is actually a very good song and it's catchy and it's one of my favorites. And I know some things about James Cooper. And I, I assume that that's the same thing they were doing with mammals. Like, let's see if we can list off a bunch of facts about mammals and have it stick in people's heads. I think, I think Rush has done that a couple of times. But <laughs> 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 well, that's ah, like when, when Metallica made Zepp- in anger and they didn't Zeppelin- want to do any solos. And Zeppelin did that with uh, Lord of the Rings. So many songs are great about Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. So, what did you? Uh, does Does anybody bothered by the? Um, I'm assuming what is a drum machine for this whole record? Well, that's how they did it. I know. Yeah, it does. It doesn't bother me. Um, oh. yeah, it's, what about it's you? Clear that... uh, no, that wasn't. I, I didn't catch that in terms of like it annoying me or anything like that. It annoyed me. It, 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 yeah, <laughs> because because it was too precise. Yeah. Uh yeah, and there's just some songs where it's like uh, you want a little bit more like energy, and you're just locked into this like kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah, I it made me feel like the better material on here still sounded like really well produced demos. I couldn't help but think. You know, if you handed this to a band and they worked on it, they took this material, worked on it for a couple of days. So it would sound better. Here's the interesting thing. After Flood, you know, the record label was like, all right, well, we'd like to get a producer on the next record. How about Elvis Costello? 
Mm. And they were like, nah, we're just going to do it ourselves. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm in complete agreement here. The album feels, it did not at the time, but now looking back kind of over their discography, it does feel like they were kind of blown away with how well Flood did and kind of tried to do something and take things in a little bit of a different direction and didn't quite finish anything. There's a, there's a great... Uh, Back to the point about what kind of fans this band attracts. There's a great wiki called This Might Be a Wiki. I think that's what it's called. And I mean, if you search for They Might Be Giants Wiki, you'll find it. And it's got, you know, details on every song and it's it's very detailed. And for example, when they talk about Statue Got Me or uh, She's Actual Size, they say, like, I'm disappointed when I listen to this because later on it got a ton more energy live. And uh, yeah. they do they do have an album later. I think it's severe tire damage that has a bunch of live takes on it and she's actual size has a ton more energy on it and, and it is it's much it's much better than this and so i i definitely feel you it feels like they retired and and a lot of these stuff this stuff could be punched up uh a bit more yeah so did this i think statue got me high was a single right from this that did pretty well that's what i remember um and i don't know how they got by without making the guitar a single, but I, I think they did. Uh, let's see. It looks like, yeah, it was on 120 minutes, premiered in February of 92. Um, and it got up to number 24 on the um, U.S. Modern Rocks track. And I think that's the, I think that's the best charting single from this particular and this does have real drums on it. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it doesn't. Uh, it, it, was from, it was on the single. There was a, another song because there's other like, B-sides that are on the, on the sure. singles. Because, you know, you had CD singles in the 90s with multiple extra songs and, yeah, you know, multiple versions for different countries. Um, what, I'm curious, what do you guys think of Spider? I think that's, I remember bonding with other They Might Be Giant fans over that song, but I can definitely see how, if you're not 17, when you first hear it, that might not grab you the right way. It sounds like uh, The Residence. <laughs> okay. Right, Tim? Or, yeah. or, or 50 seconds of a, of a Mr. Bungle song, with, <laughs> where there'd be like <laughs> four or five minutes of other stuff happening. Yeah, I don't understand well, what's going on in that song. There's just like stops and starts, and yeah, it's weird. Yeah. What what is the attraction to that song for you? Spider, he is our hero. Spider, get rid of Spider. Step on Spider. Spider, we love you, Spider. I promise not to kill you. Spider, Spider, we love you, Spider. Get rid of Spider. Must stop Spider. He is our hero. Well, I do want to comment on um, Mr. Bungle because I think that review had uh, both of you saying, like, wow, I can really hear their talent. (laughs) 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 Um, uh, Yeah, so, oh, yeah, definitely. um, I can see that be Mr. Bungle. So, like, Stops and starts and weird transitions that don't follow normal conventions of how you would craft something catchy or musically 
But if you listen to them 20 times as, you know, like a 17 year old who has a total of like, you know, 15 CDs, um, that kind of stuff, like it eventually works its way into becoming catchy and things I expect. And like, just like with Mr. Bungo, that, that really appeals to me. So when you, when, when you say, you know, I don't get it or I don't get, you know, house and steel, that's not a place I get to, at least not with this band. Like I just, I'm just like, Oh, that's, the song is what it is. I don't. I don't think about what they were trying to do or, or anything like that. So, so that's what it is for me. Well, I mean, that's an interesting point because it, you have to think about music like this. Very hard to. I mean, it's even more challenging now to appreciate it with streaming. Like, mm-hmm. I have had a tip, of, you know, a click away. Literally millions of other songs I could play. Whereas yeah. I think what you're describing is, which we've gotten into in the past with, when you've got you know, a couple CDs, yeah. <laughs> uh, you're going to spend a hell and you put your hard earned money on to, to buy them. Yeah. You're going to put a lot more, uh, commitment to, to understanding what the record is. Um, yeah. so stuff like this. Yeah. It's, it's in some ways, like it requires a little less attention spans. I mean, a lot of the material does just because it's so fast and brief, Yeah. but on something like spider, like listening in the context of like streaming a thousand other songs and playlists. And then you come to that, you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure. Yeah. Music like that can is viable going forward. Like other than just a novelty. Yeah. Yeah. In the streaming world. That is, um, except like maybe, maybe hip hop has that with skits and stuff like that, which that stuff. Um, I always skip that, but yeah, Duff McKagan makes the, the point too, about how, we don't, you know, I think the way he phrased it was like, when you're a kid, you know, and you go out and you spend $8 on a cassette, like, you're going to spend a lot of time with the third song on the second side of your accept record, because you don't <laughs> have any other choice, you know, like, that's just what you're going to do. And so you grow up and you're like, yeah, that whole second side of that accept record is pretty good, you know. Because <laughs> you've listened to it literally 30,000 times. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's like, what are you talking about? Well, yeah. just give it 29,000 more listens and you'll understand what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. And take away all the other music you have access to oh, right. and really just roll around in that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting point. I don't think we can go back. There's no, there's no return to that. Kids these days. Yeah. Too oh. many choices. Feel bad for them. <laughs> all right. Let's discuss our overall ratings for this record were the album better EP or decent single. I will say on Patreon, this was 60% worthy album and then Whoa. a split between EP and single 20% each. All right. So the overwhelming majority went with, uh, were the album. Jay, so that five votes. Is that five votes or 10 votes? That got you. Those um, <laughs> Let's not discuss the. Uh, sorry, I, okay, it was probably fifty. I didn't. <laughs> I wasn't trying. I wasn't trying to uh, be uh, be a jerk there. I you was, know, it was I over was the holidays, school. and people aren't necessarily, yeah. you know, checking the polls, and they're out Christmas shopping, and absolutely, New Year's was, you know, big deal. I don't, big big right, deal. Right in the right in the middle of the week, it threw everybody off. Right. So, Jay, where do you land? Where the album better EP decent single? 
better EP. Uh, I really like Dig My Grave. We didn't talk about that song, but it was probably the most like punky of the re- of the songs in the record. Paladrome One, My Evil Twin, Statue Got Me High, Narrow Your Eyes. I could probably pick one or two other the kind of offbeat songs and and get it to you know 30 minute 20 to 30 minute ep uh yeah i'm basically with you in terms of the song choices i think we are pretty aligned on on what worked and what didn't work for us i would be with an ep as well although it's hard to uh you know if you're going with um the uh each track individually then you've got a a uh 38 track album a 38 track album that's only 43 minutes long right (laughs) that's pretty amazing i did have an appreciation for what they i mean that construction of those 21 snippets is i can see where that would be fun to just write a brief you know 6 to 12 to whatever 20 second chorus essentially of anything you can think of I think for like an exercise that would be fun. Well, and that, and I wonder if it was an exercise or if they had twenty more songs that they just didn't flesh out, and they're just like, yeah, let's take these riffs and throw them in. I don't know. I've always been curious about that. It reminds me of on the um, the Smashing Pumpkins "Aeroplane Flies High" box set. There's a song called the Pistachio Melody, which is like twenty one minutes of Billy Corgan just riffing, like cut, like. 30 seconds of song, song, song of him just riffing with on different guitar parts. And then years later, somebody assembled all those separate songs into a, an actual release, like a bootleg. But that's the only thing I can think of that's comparable to that, except those were all, you know, demos. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so I'm at an EP as well. So that's two EPs. Scott? Is this is this a worthy album for you, or are you at uh, are you at an EP? I'm I'm curious where you're going to land. I, it might take a little while to get there because I, I want to say a couple of other things. One is it's it's funny um, that you guys both like Dig My Grave because it's probably my least favorite track on the album. That like um, the punkiness of it is is exactly what I don't like. That hard quarter note rhythm. It's a bit like four on the floor. And anything that just doesn't have any kind of swing like that and just like beats one through four are all the same emphasis. I've never cared for that. Yeah, but it's one um, minute long. You know, I know. Well, so I'm, I'm happy for it. And I don't think it goes anywhere else on the album except for track one. But but I'm always like, when it's done, I'm kind of like, okay, now we can get into the, the stuff that swings a little bit. You know, I think I think better EP with those tracks might be the right answer. Like if I if I think if I had come to this at this age, and I'm I'm kind of like evaluating it against the now yeah literally you know like few hundred you know maybe getting close to a thousand that might be stretching albums that I'm pretty familiar with. Yeah, I, I I can definitely see how you're like yeah if if I've got this many choices to make, I'm I'm probably going to call this down to a to an EP. You know, but. That said, like, uh, you know, so, so, and, and I think you guys probably, the tracks you listed, I think are probably the, about the right answer too. But when I go through it, I, you know, like I said, I, I like Mammal. I wouldn't throw it away. I like Spider. I love the guitar and I love Spacesuit. Um, Hypnotist of Ladies got some shade, but I really like that. And so, um, and Fingertips, which again, you know, I, I think when I think of this and I, I think when a lot of They Might Be Giants fans think of this album, they probably think of Fingertips, um, 
one beef I have with fingertips is there's a few of those melodies where I didn't need to have the line repeated four times. That's most obvious on the last one, walk along uh, corridors. Yeah. They could have cut that. That could have been half as half as long. But anyway, so I I really like that. And, you know, um, so so for me, it's an album. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I think it's a an accomplishment that we even got to EPs with this, because if you had told us or if you had had, uh, questioned us beforehand, Tim, Jay, where where do you think you're going to land on a They Might Be Giants album? Jay and I would probably look at each other and go, oh, this isn't going to be good. This this is not going to be pretty. (laughs) I I think Jay's mentioned in the past on the on the podcast that he disliked They Might Be Giants. Yeah, I I knew that. I knew that coming in. And still you were Um, like, I'm busting it out. Yeah, I really, I really struggled with my pick this time, as you know. Oh, I, I think a big strike against this album is that it doesn't have any. Take away the statue got behind it. It doesn't have any like just amazing songs on it. Like uh, Flood had uh, uh, Birdhouse in My Soul and uh, Istanbul, which is probably the most popular. They might be giant song of all time. And then Ooh. the next album, the next album, John Henry would have. Sleeping in the Flowers, which is my favorite, uh, they might be giant song in all time of all time. I would, I'd recommend anybody go listen to that. I think that's like the perfect pop song. Um, and then it's Sleeping in the Flowers. It's a love song, so that's a good test, like to see if their if their vocals work for you on kind of a, a sincere boy girl power pop song. Like that's the perfect example. So, what do you think their uh, top five songs? Oh, Istanbul, uh, Birdhouse in My Soul have to be in the top five. Okay. Um, Good, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know if you get into the kids' music. I, Stop, don't start. I. That might not. I mean, that was a big MTV hit, but I don't know. They, they so Birdhouse and, and Your Soul in Istanbul. You got Particle Man would be f- top okay. six. The other three, Mickey Mouse. They did the, the theme, Mickey Mouse. The yeah, they did the theme song for Mickey Mouse and uh, oh, the right. song Hot Dog. Hot dog, hot dog, hot diggity dog. Hot dog, yeah. hot dog, hot diggity dog. Those are one and two. Oh my! Well, they're included. So those are included on the, um, on the children's CDs that they did. I mean, I, it, that makes a lot of sense. That, yeah. That kids would get their parents to throw that on their repeat. You know, whatever. Oh yeah. Um, kids have no they, ability I, to to burn out on a song. They just listen to it over no. and over and over. And over, yeah, and over. I've thought for a while that you should do a um, an episode on bands that were like, uh, you know, just you know, aimed at you know college kids or high school kids in the '90s that now do kids music. Like, uh, yeah, there's Seattle, quite a Seattle's few. Full of them. You, you, you've got Casper Baby Pants from President of the United States of America. Um, the one of the main members of Velocity Girl is doing so, something up in Seattle. And Seattle and Portland are just full of old rock stars that are now doing kids music. Well, and there's people like Kay Hanley does the music for Doc McStuffins from Letters to Cleo, and right. Matt Mahaffey right. does the music for Henry Hugglepants. I don't know if that's still on. I think I think we got lucky as parents that the kids' music available now is much better than it was. When <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm out of water, and my throat is tightening up at an alarming rate. Yeah. So I'm going to um, say, Scott, thank you for bringing us a pick that we have overlooked for, as you mentioned at the top, for so long, and really opened our eyes, I think, to uh, 
you know, what the different aspects of this band that maybe we didn't know about. And um, I have to, I have to legitimately say, Scott, I hate this band less than I did before. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's, so that's, I think that's. I think that's. I think that's a reverse from the Mr. Bungle episode where I did not help your appreciation at all. Yeah, no, I don't think I like yeah. Mr. Bungle anymore. But uh, <laughs> hey, man, you can't get every every one. No, no, and I. Uh, that's. It's not my. You know, I don't. I don't pick these. Uh, I don't pick these to necessarily uh have them all come out it's not a it's not a game i'm not trying to get perfect albums so uh this these are fun conversations for me to have and like i said you know it's i think i think a lot of people have said this too it's like well you love something in high school and uh, let's look at it again and, and see see how we feel about it now that we're maybe 10 years out of high school so uh if we're going to make the the playlist of all your episodes what uh what song from this album makes it oh geez I know I'm the only one who said I like this song this whole time, but I, I can't get away from the guitar. That's my favorite. Uh-huh. Back in the day, my favorite was Narrow Your Eyes, but it, I listened to this about ten times in prep for this episode, and it just didn't grab me in quite the same way. So I would say the guitar. All right, all right. Well, that's what's going on. <laughs> so you'll be judged by. <laughs> Are you, you going to put a Spotify playlist the- on each guest's uh, page? Can yeah. we do that? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Nice. It'll be an ever-growing list. Right now, there'll, there'll be like seven songs. Just <laughs> cycle through those seven songs over and over again. If I'm uh, if if I'm if I'm judged by that of all the things I've done and said in my life, I'd say that's that's fine. I'll stand by that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> stand well, by I, your convictions. I like it. I want to remind everyone they can go to Patreon to become a patron, like Scott. You can join us at the $2 level to vote in polls and earn one of our union stickers. And you can join us at other levels for T-shirts, album reviews, uh, vote in our roundtables. We're round picking table uh, round, round right now, right? Yeah, we got uh, an 80s episode needs to get votes. We've got a roundtable episode that needs votes. So... Get on it, folks. That's Patreon is where you go. DMO Union, digmeoutunion.com. And where I remind everyone, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at the iTunes. There is no more iTunes. I'm sorry, at Apple Music. <laughs> Apple Podcasts. Apple at Apple Podcasts. I'm gonna have to change my um notes here that I end that I read every time I end the show. Apple. And, uh, speaking of things you, speaking of things you read every time, can I tell you how much I missed that old jing, uh, history of the band jingle? I loved that. That was so awesome. Yeah, what the hell happened to that, Tim? Well, we haven't been doing full histories because we've been getting into the no. albums faster. I'll just play it. Okay. Do me a favor and tack it onto the end of this episode. That would mean a lot. Is is Katie charging you royalties? That's what happened. Is that she got <laughs> sick of us hauling in all this cash from the podcast, and she said. <laughs> I'm going to need a, a percentage. And I said, well, you're out. See ya. Like, screw it. No more history of the band. Right. She still does the Problem intro and outro. Solved. But uh, we we lost it on the um, – she, uh, she owned the melody, whereas I own the words. So <laughs> that's uh, it's what happens with the songwriting team when they break up. That's what uh, – so- I was going to say go to Spotify, which uh, we're getting some 
good amount of subscriptions through there now, but uh, they don't apparently have reviews. So nope, can't leave positive feedback there. No. So Apple Music is, uh, and hey, uh, what did I say last uh, time? We were like number nine top in Sweden. Ten in Sweden. Yep. <laughs> so if you're listening to Sweden, let's get with it. Come on. Yeah. Give us a five star review. Let's get over the top. Let's go. All right. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com. History of the Bay.